Good day to you, and welcome to the podcast for the Union Street Meeting House. In this podcast, we will be sharing messages from our weekly worship services. Union Street Meeting House is a Christian ministry that introduces people of all ages to Jesus Christ and recalls those who once knew Him back into an intimate, vibrant, living relationship with Him. We are a house for Christian fellowship and personal growth. You are always welcome here at Union Street Meeting House. Let's go into this week's message right now. Amen, amen. Well, we had the orchard last night, and normally I brag on the orchard of Pastor Bill or Pastor Carl, but I pinch hit it last night, and uh, we talked about Jude a little bit, and I'd like to do that again this morning. Um, Early in the week, actually, I felt like uh, there was there was something that God was pushing me toward on Jude. And if I'm totally honest, I don't really understand why. I don't understand what this message is about. I've actually even tried to run from this message, and uh, uh, I was getting nothing. And then and then it's like, okay, God, if this is what it's all about, I'll just be obedient to it. I don't know, but that's what we're going to do. And so we're going to stick with it this morning. Um, and uh, just blessed to know that whatever is in this Bible is essential for us to live. That some words are harder than others. Some words are wonderful to hear. Some words are like crazy to hear. But all of it God has put here so that we can live the life of faith that he has called us to. Amen? Amen. So go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of Jude. And while you're doing that, um, before we start reading, I'd just like to go over a few things about Jude. One of the things that, that I think I like is I like to hear stories of old timers. Um, I often try to get my aunts and uncles and, and whatnot to tell stories of their life and, and how things were. I love to hear that kind of thing. I love history. And so when when I begin to try and understand who the writer is in the Bible, I tend to want to know more about that person. I love knowing about Paul and his journey, and, and we know about Peter, and we talked about John Mark here about a year ago, and, 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 and um, we've talked about James. We'll bring that up in a moment, but this particular book is the book of Jude, and um, so in Hebrew and the Greek, Jude is translated Judas or Judah accordingly, okay? So some scholars believe even the name Jude is used for, for Jude uh, specifically to identify him so that there be no confusion with Judas Iscariot or even Judas the Apostle. And so we know it as the book of Jude. And we also know that he has a nickname of Thaddeus. And I love nicknames. And uh, we'll go into that some other day. But um, but. This book is the book of Jude. Uh, he is one of the four stepbrothers of Jesus. Um, interestingly, all four stepbrothers of Jesus became leaders in the early church. They were very influential. Some of you may have been here on Sunday morning about a month ago when we did talk about James, uh, Jesus' other stepbrother, who wrote the book of James and his influence on the early church and how he was so regarded and respected, so much so that when Paul, when there was division and there was a concern, they took it to James to get an answer of how to, to proceed forward. And Jude, like James, uh, did not believe Jesus was the Christ. They, they couldn't wrap their head around that. 
I think that's pretty cool, actually. I, I wonder, and I don't know any of this, and, and if you do, it's okay. Tell me after the service. But I wonder if, if Mary just kind of kept some things to herself just so that the brothers wouldn't get so shook up, you know. I'm not sure how that works. Um, um, there is some heresy out there, by the way, and, and strangely enough, put out by the Catholic Church about um, uh, Mary having an, an, an infinite virginity, that she didn't really have any children. And we don't believe that to be true. We believe the Bible states clearly that he had brothers and sisters. And so uh, it's interesting to know that they did not believe that Jesus was the Christ, and uh, went through all that time. And, and some of that's understandable because Jesus didn't do one miracle it's, that we know of until he was baptized by John and filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible notes that Jesus appeared to his brothers after his resurrection. And obviously, after that resurrection, they became ardent believers and followers of Christ and influential in early Christianity, especially with the Jewish believers or what we would now know as a Messianic Jew. And I find that um, pretty obvious, but at the same time, that is pretty wild too, to know that you didn't believe your brother was crucified. You went through all those emotions. You didn't really understand what was going on. And then he appears to you and says, hey, guys, I'm him. It's okay. I'm here. And then their lives are changed, and all of them go into the ministry as leaders. And so that's pretty cool as far as I was concerned. He was married and had at least one son. In fact, um, uh, we'll learn here in a moment, he was martyred, but his grandchildren end up being martyred because of, of who Jude was. Uh, they were concerned that the, uh, the second coming of Christ would come, and Rome was all shook up about that. And the emperor, Caesar, at that time, uh, one of them actually interviewed him. And they said, hey, look, we just work in the land. I think, I think the script says they had like 36 acres of land. And they worked the land. And when the officials came to get them to, to probably kill them, they explained that their hands had calluses. And they were obviously workers of the land. And that particular emperor just dismissed it as nothing. But the emperor that followed him didn't wasn't convinced and had them martyred. It's one thing being martyred for your faith or the grandchildren for their faith. But by the way, it is recorded that when they asked him the when they asked them the position that they had on the Christ, they shared it totally wholly biblical and that's why they were put to death. It is documented that uh, James preached the gospel in Judea, in Samaria, in Mesopotamia, and North Africa, uh, Libya in particular. And so we think of these countries today and we think of them as certainly not Christian nations in some level and, 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 and most Muslim nations, but, but the, the gospel message was preached there and Jude was one of the ones that went there and preached that message. And it is important to know that like his brother James, Jude is also martyred for his faith, uh, most likely in Libya. So I just found those things interesting. I like to know. And so when we see Jude here and he's writing a letter, uh, an epistle, if you may, of instruction and, 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 and how to navigate our faith, uh, it's very important to us. I love that they canonized the scripture with, with Jude's writing also. 
So let's just start reading. We'll read simply Jude 1, 1 through 4. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. He doesn't boast, by the way, that he is Jesus' stepbrother, but the writers all know it, or the recipients all know it. And certainly as he claims here, he's the brother of James, they know it. To those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. Verse 4. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons whose turn, who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that through this word today that you will speak to us on, on, on hopefully, Lord, on many levels, that we will read your word and understand it. We will know that it's put here for a purpose, Lord, that it's not just a, a small book of the Bible that we tend to skip over or maybe don't put as much emphasis on. But Lord, your word is true and your word has meaning for every last dot and tittle of it, Lord. And so we pray, Lord God, that this word of Jude would speak to our hearts, especially in the culture that we live in. That God, you have a word for us and an understanding here and Lord, you would uh, allow us to receive it. And Lord, with the help of the Holy Spirit, that we would understand it. In Jesus' name, amen. So interestingly here, Jude has every intention of writing a letter about salvation. Um, he has to turn his attention, though, to false teaching. He has to uh, encourage his, his recipients or readers to contend earnestly for the faith. And I even shared last night that every pastor really wants to come here. Listen, or my heart is to come here and just get you guys excited for Jesus every week. And you're going to leave here and we're going to tackle the world and things are going to be good. And I think that's every pastor's heart. And so Jude is no different. He wants to sit down and write a letter. And then he finds out this news of how the behavior's going. And he has to change courses. And he says to them, I want to write to you. I wanted to put a letter to you about our, about our salvation, our, our shared salvation, what we have in God and, and how we're going to live and what we need to do. And then he gets this news that there's some terrible, terrible things have gone on. Now, I don't know about you, but I find it also astounding that as much as things change, they just always seem to stay the same. Uh, they surmise that this letter was written about 65 A.D., so 30 years plus or minus after, after the Lord, he's writing a letter about an issue. We're pretty frail humans, aren't we? Pretty thick at times, I think. If we didn't know any better, we could believe that this letter was written last week. You're going to read on about it and you're going to see what he's dealing with and you're going to find that we're dealing with this not just in America but literally throughout the world. And we even talked about we have a tendency to think that the third world countries are, are in trouble and, and, and have a lot of issues and they do. But, you know, the Western culture who thinks they have it all together is probably a lot more in trouble than even those countries. I, I kind of believe that. And so this, this letter could easily be written today pretty much anywhere 
in the world. Um, now, before we uh, proceed to this passage, I want to take a moment and address, or so to speak, talk about false teaching, okay? Because that's where he's headed here. False teaching means someone is teaching that things are otherwise than what they are. They're, they're teaching something that's otherwise than what they are. So you have this that is, and they're teaching something different. It doesn't matter what it is. Um, um, in police work, even, uh, if you get faulty training, you'll, you'll actually spend your days, your mind will process that faulty training. It has to be correct from the start, or you'll find yourself in trouble. I don't know why I'm going to share this story, but I am. And an example of that was when, when, when they used to train the early police officers, they didn't want to have the brass or the, or the casings or the shells all over, all over the uh, range. So they would teach the police officers when, when you discharge your, your ammo cases that you put them in your hand and you put them in your pocket. And they soon found out that there was a major gunfight and the officers were killed. And when they happened to go back and hear the witnesses or end or the video or whatnot, they found out that in the, in the, in the shakeup of it all, they were discharging their cases and putting them in their pocket, in the meantime, getting shot. And so what they determined then is they had to stop and get the training right. You had to start from the beginning correct. And then they said, hey, we're not worried about your casings. Just let them fall. We'll clean them up later. And so we see that. False teaching means that someone is teaching things that are otherwise than what they really are. Now, now listen, things are. Both physical things and spiritual things are. They just are. Uh, it sounds simple, but God made things and things are. I, uh, I shared also last night that a friend of mine uh, has gone, they're, they're pregnant, she's pregnant, and they've gone and got their ultrasound. And, and I don't even, I don't even, I think it's just a few months. Some of you ladies can testify to this, but. Used to, you'd have to wait a long time to find out. Now you can find out pretty early. They do, they do it by DNA, and they also can see on the ultrasound. And they said, you're having a little girl. And he said to me, isn't it amazing that she's not even out yet, and they're telling me I've got a little girl, and there's people with five-year-olds that can't tell whether they're a girl or boy. Okay? It's true. This is the culture in the world that we're up against at the moment. And we don't want to be found asleep on these issues. Okay, but things just are. God made things and they are. Physical things and spiritual things are. It's our business to find out how they are, accept them as they are, and then make our teaching and learning conform to what they are. For examples, if, if I was to tell you that today is uh, uh, November the 1st, that, that's not true. Today is November 20th. We know this. This is R. This is where, if I was to say to you that we're in the month of November, we're going to enter the season of winter in this hemisphere. Uh, if I was to say to you, hey, we're, gonna, we're getting ready to have summer, this would be false. It would be just not true. However many folks are in here, if I went out and reported there was three times as much of that, that would be not true. It just are. However many of you are here today, you're just here. That's it. You understand what I'm saying? So things are. God made things as they are. And it's our business to find out how they are, to accept that, and then to teach or conform to what they are. False teaching is teaching that 
something is not real. It's not really the way it is. And we see this all the time in our, in our culture. We see it. But here's what's scary. In our churches, we see it. We see these issues. And so I just want you to know as we move forward that true teaching or stating the truth is simply finding out what things are and then con conforming the statement or the teaching to their facts, that this is what they are. And the Bible is clear in many ways, and people want to twist and contort and edit and, 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 and omit what they don't really want to believe in. But that's not how God has it. God has it there. There's some ugly stuff in this Bible. It's scary stuff, stuff you don't want to read to your kids, to be honest with you, not until they get older. And so, but it is, it just is and it's are. And I love that about the Bible because if I was writing the Bible, I would write it so that everything turns out great and everything's fine. And God is so good and he takes care of everything and he does, we know that. But you know what I'm saying? I wouldn't, certainly wouldn't talk about uh, daughters having relations with their fathers and things like this, okay? I just wouldn't do it. I wouldn't talk about a brother who takes a rock and kills his other brother. It's not pretty, it's not ugly. Or it's ugly. So when a truth has been revealed in the book of God, our business is to find out what that truth is. And we don't edit or alter it. It just stands as it is. For instance, the universe was created and it's been proven to have mathematical laws. Uh, science is far enough along, and you know, that's a scary word today, science. Isn't it, isn't it sad that four years ago, science was kind of a good word? Now that's been distorted, made lies, and turned into something that it's not. And now we even have this lack of faith in science. I'm okay with that, by the way. But real science is real science, and they've done many things, and they can tell you, I mean, they can put an airplane in the air, they can put a GPS system on it, and they can tell you exactly where it is. It's a mathematical equation. It's not that they're guessing. They know that if it's this many miles up and this many miles from there and this many miles from that point and they get their coordinates and they can determine that. Mathematical laws, the law of gravity, the law of electricity, these things are just, they just are. You can jump off buildings and say there's no gravity, good luck. But it just are. But just as real as those mathematical laws, the worlds that God has made also have moral laws. And those laws are just as important as mathematical laws. In fact, you might argue that they're, that they're even more important because the consequences, listen, the consequences for a surveyor who don't get a boundary stake right, we'll talk about that in a minute, he, he might put, <laughs> I had a guy go out and thought he knew where the stakes were at one of the lots of the houses we were going to build, and I came out there to see how he cleared it, and he cleared the neighbor's lot. I thought, well, isn't that cool? It wasn't the whole lot, thank God. It was just another. There was a stake sticking out in that neighbor's lot for some other reason, and he thought that was the boundary line. There's consequences. There's consequences to breaking moral laws as well. But uh, if you take uh, a mathematical laws and you look at it, in fact, we'll use the instance of a surveyor. They typically go out with a benchmark. They got neat apparatus now. They can, they can walk around with this. It looks like a king's scepter in their hand and it has a prism on top and it reads all these things. But no matter what they do, they have to have a true benchmark. 
They, they, they have to have some origin or some place that they start or, or everything else is just junk. If, if, if the benchmark is wrong, then anything they do from that point on is subject or probably going to be wrong and will have consequences. And with moral laws, it's the same thing. You get one point wrong or one angle of the truth wrong and you'll end up in danger. We must have a benchmark. And that benchmark for us is God. And his word is the instructions. False teaching always has its origin in the wrong concept of God. So let me say that again. False teaching always has its origin in the wrong concept of God. When we see these churches in trouble, and they'll look you right in the eye and say, Jesus is not against homosexuality. Or they'll look you in the eye and say, well, he's really not against transgenderism. I mean, God probably made them that way. They have a wrong concept of God. They believe what they are saying. Now, I think there's some evil out there that's portraying things that aren't. Don't get me wrong, and they're intentional about it. But the sad and scary part is that they believe what they are saying because they don't have the proper concept of who God is. We, we sang it in a song. He is just and he is love. He is both merciful, but he is righteous. He, he, he loves and gives grace, but he has justice. Can't understand all this. Not going to pretend I know all about that, but I know it to be true. It's who he is. It's his nature. And so false teaching always has its origin in a wrong concept of God. We must always conform to who God really is and not who we have made him. This is why knowing the scripture, listen, you say, well, why do I need to read the Bible? Well, there's tons of reasons, most of which my wife reminds me is that it will help wash the junk of the world out of me. But knowing scripture helps us to know God. It's just that simple. You want to get close to God? Know your scripture. Know who he is. Know the real God. And also, being filled with the Holy Spirit is, is critical to it. In fact, I would say that most of the churches and most of the false teaching where, where, where pastors are in trouble is because they stop at father and son. They stop there. They, they don't understand the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit wrote the Holy Scriptures. Hey, sure, he used men and women to pen it, but he wrote the Holy Scriptures. So who better to interpret it than the author? Pastor Bill wrote a book, From the Pig Pen to the Pulpit. Let me put a little plug in. If you've not read it, you ought to read it. But there's some things in there you may not understand. And then if you come and ask me, I'll give you an opinion on them. But I didn't write the book. Even though I may know a lot about the book, I didn't write the book. You want to know really what he's saying? Ask the author. You follow me? It's the same with us. So want to know what God's saying? We have the Holy Spirit in us and we have to ask the Spirit. Our spirit resonates with his spirit. He is in us, okay? And that's why it's important. By knowing the Bible, we can find out who God really is. The Holy Spirit, the author of the Bible, interprets it accurately and the word of God and what God's truth really, really is. Now, in this, we learn who God really is. And then there's the issue of sin. 
Sin cannot be understood until we believe in God and believe what God has said about ourselves. We just can't. You talk to an un, unregenerated person, someone who is not saved about sin, they, 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 they have a general concept, but they don't understand. They don't. Sometimes we're the foolish one for expecting them to understand. They're, the Bible says the carnal man has no understanding. And so sin cannot be understood until we believe in God and believe what God has even said about ourselves. There are those who would deny sin. In fact, they say that it's false. That, um, and, and you'll hear this, well, people are basically good. And <laughs> I'm going to meddle a little bit. And y'all who want to spank your children, it's just, you know, you're out of line. And that's okay. If you don't want to spank your children, it's okay. God help you. But um, <laughs> that was a joke. Not really. But... But those who would deny sin, they don't believe that their child has a sin nature. They don't believe that they've been born in sin. They don't understand it. it it's, it's foreign to them. So when you say, hey, your child has a sin nature, it's no wonder they're misbehaving. And they'll look at you like, you say that again, I'm going to punch you in the mouth. And it's okay. They don't understand. But they deny it. But it's false. They're wrong. Period. How do I know? Because the Bible teaches it. There are those who would rename it. And, you know, we have that a lot. Well, you know, it's not really, they're not really sinning. They're just, they're just downtrodden in trouble and they're making a bad mistake and they're really not sinning. No, they're stealing and they're sinning. They're, they're taking something that doesn't belong to them. Now, even the Bible speaks about if you take bread, if you're hungry, well, that's one thing. You'll deal with that. But the reality of it is if we trust God, I don't think we have to steal. It's just, just how, how it works. And they'll rename it. And they rename it and they'll soften it up. And, and we've talked about this. They, they, they won't talk about abortion for what it is. They'll talk about it as, as a woman's right. They'll soften it. They'll rename the sin. They'll, they'll talk about whatever, whatever's going on in the culture that the criminal really is just a victim. And some are, by the way. I mean, there's a reality to that, okay? You come up in that world, it's hard to break and shake that off. We've talked about drug addiction. You know, you, you know, outside of God's miracle on that, uh, like Pastor Jim Simbola says, hey, when cocaine, when you're using cocaine and it calls you, you're coming. It's got a hold of you. And other sins in our life are the same way, other addictions. And there are those who would also treat it as a disease. And that's just false. Sin is not a disease. It's sin. It's part of our nature. Here's what God has to say about sin. He says that it's breaking of his law. It's rebelling against his will. It's a nature inherited from our fathers and mothers. The Bible's clear about that. It's your mom and dad's fault. Just want you to know. Okay? It's a nature that we've inherited. It's an act against the faith and love and mercy of God, the scripture says. God says it's rebellion against the constituted authority of the majesty on high. It's a rebellion of God. We know about Satan. He had a rebellion toward God. And sin is a rebellion toward God. We need to believe and understand what sin is and, and who we are in it without the saving grace of Jesus Christ. We must have a true concept of the Trinity to have a true concept of who we are. We must understand that without the redemption of Christ, that we are sinners lost, end of story. And until we come to Christ 
and say, yes, Lord, I'm a candidate. Make that in me. I believe and I confess. Now, now we're alive. You understand? Okay, so with that said, let's go back to the book of Jude. Now, this gets a little ugly. I want to read some of this out of Jude. Um, We're going to read verses 3 through 16. Uh, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith. Listen, that's kind of our message today that we're in a culture that you must contend for your faith. Now, it's not just when you're out in the world. It's contending for your faith when you're at home by yourself and you're listening to the voices in your head or the media that you're watching or looking at. This contending goes on wherever we are, okay? Contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints, For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. And angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality, and went after strange flesh, and exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Yet in the same way, these men also by dreaming defile the flesh and reject authority and revile angelic majesties. Verse 9, but Michael, the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these men revile the things which they do not understand and the things which they know by instinct Like unreasoning animals, by these things they are destroyed. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, and and for pay they have rushed headlong into the era of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are the men who are hidden reefs in your love feasts, and they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves, clouds without water, carried along by winds, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead and uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up their own shame like foam, wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these men that Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon them all and to convict all the ungodly of their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way, And of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him, meaning God. These are the grumblers finding fault, following after their own lusts. They speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. And so those are some pretty harsh words there. And he says men, but let me tell you, it's men and women. Uh, we We had a group of ladies coming to our office that wanted us to build them a church in Rehoboth. I was excited. We're going to get to build a church. 
but it was a group of ladies who wanted to build a church in Rehoboth. And so I said, Lord, how do you want us to handle this? How do you want us to move forward here, God? I want to be a witness to you. don't want to be condemning. And as it worked out, our price was too high. So sometimes that's a good thing, amen? But you hear what I'm saying. That's in Rehoboth. I can tell you right where it's at. Another church right on Route 9, a Universalist church. It's pretty sad what we're hearing. So it's men and women. I just want to share that. So Jude starts out wanting to write about salvation. He wants to write about their shared salvation. He wants a word of encouragement to them. But he finds out he has to write about the issue at hand. Look at verses 3 and 4. And he says unto them, contend uh, actions of those in the beloved and their moral compromise. So he immediately starts to unwind the fact that they are immoral. In, in, in verse 4, for, for, for certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly persons who turn the grace of God into licentiousness. Now let me stop there for a moment. This church was founded as a holiness church. It was called Pilgrim's Holiness Church, built in 1926. We tend to, we tend to want to bash the holiness movement because they really... Lord, help me do this without harming us. They, they really were so bent on holiness that they didn't mind hurting people in the process. And they had an understanding of not of the entire scripture as it would be, as, it was, it was, as we would believe it today, that there is this full scripture of God's justice and his love. And, it's, and, and wonderful things. We're thankful for this church and certainly not throwing the baby out with the wash. But do you hear what I'm saying? They had a position, literally, if you spoke in tongues, you were, you were not godly. They had a position if, if even with miracles and healings that we don't take today. We take the position that God wants to heal today and that's active and alive today. So here at Union Street, you need to understand we believe in a God who heals today and does miracles today, okay? But what happens is when you have this false concept of God, you begin to get, think that God is just this justice God and that holiness is required. Well, yes, it is. But it says, be holy for I am holy. But, but really what we understand is holiness is a gift and a recipient of walking in the faith. It, it, it is, remember, we've talked about that, that some things just go like peanut butter and jelly, that you're going to do well, you're going to follow God, and there's holiness is going to follow if you're doing it right. So there is this holiness. And even when we have Christ in us, we have this amount of holiness in us. Because if you're saved, he's in you, and that's just how it is. Now, you might live like hell, and you might like want to make decisions that aren't good, but that grieves the Holy Spirit. That grieves Christ in you. That's a good place for an amen. And the licentiousness now deals with more like today. Today, if we're not careful, we're on the other side of that coin. We have this, we have this expanded grace or this extended grace uh, to a point where, hey, you know, God is so good when... When we mess up and he loves us and he's going to let us just do what we want to do and, and we begin to live like a spoiled child in that sense and we, 
we don't realize that licentiousness and sexual immorality. And listen, I've been through a divorce. If you didn't know that, you do now. Uh, it, it happens. It's tough. I'm not beating on. It's, I'll do like Pastor Bill says. God doesn't hate divorced people, but he hates divorce. Okay, you understand? So I don't want anybody to feel condemned here this morning. But there's a reality that God would have it that we don't have divorce. That it's a death of a covenant. And so I say that now, if you're married or remarried or remarried, 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 it doesn't matter. God prefers you to stay married. Now, there's circumstances, okay? Not so much scriptural, but we deal with it. So in verse 4, if we understand this, this culture, Jude speaks against not necessarily the doctrine of the false teachers, but their lifestyle. He doesn't even go into doctrine, really. He just says, listen, here's the fruit, the licentiousness, and then saying it's okay, that God's okay with it. This is part of our culture and our issues today. Okay, you hearing me? This is why we got to contend for the faith, because that's not true. That is false. And so how we see God determines how we filter everything that's going on and what we do. Look at verse 5 talks about those who were disobedient and they rebelled against God once for all. Now, he's talking about Egypt. He's talking about the Exodus and how God brought them out and they walked around grumbling and disobedient and rebellious to him. And the Bible says they got their due penalty, which was death without seeing the promised land. Are you hearing me? In verse 6, And angels who did not keep their own domain but abandon their proper abode. He has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. In case you don't know, he's referring to Genesis 6. And this is always a scripture that's pretty wild and out there. But basically that angelic beings were coming to earth, having sex with women and making children. It's part of the reason that we had the flood, if not the whole reason, that the sin of the world became very intolerable to God. And so he's referring to Genesis 6 and also the book of Enoch. And we'll get to that in a moment. Verses 7 and 8, he talks about Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them. In the same way, they indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh. Well, doesn't that sound familiar? Or exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Let me stop there and say this. God does not hate homosexuals. He hates sin. God reached a point with Sodom, Gomorrah, and the surrounding cities where there was judgment. And so Jude is doing his best here to say, church, stop. This is where this, this, is where this road ends. And, and since I'm political today, and I don't know, it may scare a lot of you out of here, but it's okay. So, you know, when we, when we understood that they were going to... Uh, the, Washington's crazy is all I, they've lost their minds is all I've got to say. When, when there's men dressed like women running around like, like uh, uh, women and vice versa and, and the talk you hear coming out of these hearings, you feel like what, we've, we've gone to Mars or somewhere. But, but nonetheless, but nonetheless, we're not at Sodom and Gomorrah yet, okay? There's hope for our nation. We're not down to the five people that Abraham begged to let God let that city live when he went to get Lot and said, hey, you're down to five. And he goes there and can't find five, okay? 
10 might be the number. I don't know. You, you scholars can hold me to that. But you understand the position I'm making. So there is hope for this nation, and we are the hope for the nation. And then we see in verse 9, but Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. So I want to address that for a moment. I want to address the book of Enoch for a moment. Those are not scriptural books. They are Hebrew historical writings that are part of the Hebrew Bible. They're not part of our Holy Bible. But I do find it interesting that God allowed Jude to discuss that in here. And so when we hear about these books, we, we need to have the Spirit help us interpret what they're all about. Well, in this particular book was called The Assumption of Moses. And it was a historical document. And Jude is trying to reach his hearers, his recipients. And so he's giving them, again, he's dealing with Messianic Jews. They know Jewish custom. They know Jewish history. He's giving them examples so that they will understand what they're up against. And so you're not going to find that in the Bible where Michael argued, okay? So why is that important? Well, it's important for us. If we were to talk about the Mayflower Compact, it's certainly not a biblical document, but it contains biblical history that we would understand and relate to that there was a people across a great water who decided to come and make a new land. Okay, and so we could relate to that. And I used an example last night. If I said, hey, don't be a Benedict Arnold, you would know what that would mean because you would understand the history of our nation. And so Jude is doing the same with his recipients here. Okay, so don't get all hung up on all that stuff. They're just historical books. You take them or leave them. It doesn't matter to me. They're not canonized. They're not in the scripture. But at the same point, he is talking to his recipients and he is getting their attention. And when he tells them them things, he is discussing the books of Enoch and the Assumption of Moses, historical documents that the readers understand. Now, in verses 10 through 15, he, again, Jude is using the well-known illustrations to warn recipients of what will happen to those who both teach and do evil. But listen, he summarized this up back in verse 4. So put your finger there and jump back to verse 4 where it says, Namely, okay, so simply, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Let's read verses 10 through 15. But these men revile the things which they do not understand and the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals by these things they are destroyed woe to them for they have gone the way of Cain that's interesting they have gone the way of Cain and for pay they have rushed headlong into the era of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah now something else you need to know about all these folks that he's listed here not only, for instance, Cain, not only did they do evil before God, but they were people who led others to do evil. Every circumstance he's given here are those who led people to basically rebel against God. And so he's dealing really with the teachers here, okay? And we'll get to that in a moment. Okay. 
So we get all the way through here and he goes, these are men who are hidden reefs in your love feast. When they feast with you without fear, he's kind of dealing with them. Hey, these guys are right here among you. And he uses, he uses a uh, scripture out of the Psalms that would talk about their autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting their own shame like foam. Uh, that scripture hits me when I, when I see these people or hearings and see, and see the White House. I'm sorry, Washington just does it. And they, they, they're casting up their own shame like foam. They're boasting about it. They love the fact that they're turning the waters of this nation. It's evil. 14, it was about these men that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of their ungodly deeds, which they have done. And 16, they are grumblers finding fault. I think, I think that would be more applicable to us today. We're grumblers finding fault, following after our own lusts. We speak arrogantly. We are flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. We have to be cautious of this. Let me just wrap up with this, the good stuff. Verse 17 through 25. When Jude tells us in chapter 3 that we must contend for the faith, he really doesn't say how to do that. But when he gets to the end here, he gives us some instruction. And this is what I want you to hear today. Verses 17 through 25. And let's read it together. But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you, in the last time there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lust. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life, and have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garments polluted by the flesh. And so we read that scripture and we see some instructions here from Jude. First of all, number one, he says, remember the words spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God that God saw fit to give us the words of the apostles right in here. But can I share with you otherwise too that many of you have sat under some very good pastors in the past that you need to remember what they've taught us, that we have learned things from them that we have to remember. We don't just move forward as if nothing was said. We have to hold on to the truth that we have learned. Number two, you must build yourselves up on your most holy faith. He kind of likens this to the new temple of Christ because Christ is the new temple of Christ. And he kind of likens that, that you've got to build yourself up on your faith. You say, well, how do you do that? You've got to study God's word. You have to pray. You have to be in tune with the Lord. You're building up your faith. When the enemy comes and says yes, and you say no. And when he says no, you say yes. You build up your faith. You strengthen yourself. You work out your faith in your salvation. So build yourselves up on your most holy faith. Don't believe all this garbage that's going around that we're hearing. That's what he's telling them. Don't believe these guys. They're trouble. Don't get sucked in. Number three, praying in the Holy Spirit. 
The Bible says that no man can pray in the Spirit except his heart is the habitation of the Spirit. In other words, our hearts are where the Spirit resides. You can't pray in the Holy Spirit if the Holy Spirit don't reside in you. It's just that simple. It scares some people. We've talked about that. But our faith is in God the Father, His Son Jesus Christ whom He sent, and the Helper who is here to help us, the Holy Spirit. And we pray in the Spirit. And that's not always easy. Five minutes of praying in the Spirit is probably worth five hours of praying in the flesh. I'm not saying don't do it if you don't have it. It's fine. We need to pray to God. But sometimes we just need to get before Him and get in so in much tune that we know that our Spirit is resonating with His Spirit. He goes on to say, Number four, keep yourselves in the love of God. This is where I can get in my trouble myself sometimes. It says, have no contempt for anyone. Contempt is an emotion that has its origin in pride. Can I say to you that sometimes the Christian church will get so worked up over what the world is doing wrong that we have this contentiousness that builds up in us and we have this pride that will keep us from loving? Because somehow we've arrived and they haven't and we begin to stand in a position of judgment of them and that's wrong. It's not truth. The Bible says love. Have contempt for no one. We must stay in the love of God. We must contend but not be contentious. We must preserve the truth but injure no one. We must stand to destroy error but never destroy people. We have the truth. We can deliver the truth in love, is what the Bible teaches. And then five, wait anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. God calls us to be long-suffering and patient and to wait on Him. It's hard, but that's what we're to do. Number six, have mercy on those who are doubting. And I believe this is what Jude means by that, that there's people hung up in those false religions and they are doubting the true Christianity and to be honest with you, they're somewhat of a victim, okay? I'm not letting them off the hook. You need to hear me clearly. But they'll get into somewhere where they're getting loved on. And then they find that love is just an avenue to where they're getting false teaching. And they're wound up in it. And Jude says for us who have the faith, who know the truth, we must show mercy to them. We're not going to throw them out with the wash. We're not going to send them to the fire. God's going to do that, whatever he decides to do. That's not our place or job. And then in 7, he says to save others, snatching them out of the fire. And we all know that we all may not have the gift of evangelism, but we all should know that we're called to be an example of who Christ is in our life, that others would be called to him. And as you know, I like to quote, if God be lifted up, he'll draw men under him. If Christ be lifted up, he'll draw all men unto him. And that lifting up happens in our lifestyle. And I don't say that with a, I say it with a strong conviction, but I know in my own life I suffer from failure on that as well. But we're working on it. We're going to get there together. I think we all would feel that at times. Lift Christ up in how we live in our trust in him and what we know and in our faith and in our walk of faith. And then I'll leave you with this this morning. 
now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Bow your heads. God, we thank you for your word this morning, Lord. We trust you. We love you, Lord. We live in a culture that's going awry. But Lord, uh, we are not without hope. Father, we know that the answer for this world is a saving grace of Jesus Christ, and we wish for everyone to know it, that, that they would be saved from the fire, Lord. Help us not be asleep, Lord. Help us not just wander through and, and have opportunity to snatch those out of the fire. But God, because we were busy, because we were distracted, because we were selfish, that we didn't do that. So Lord, help us with that. Lord, help us to contend for this faith. Lord, help us to contend but not be contentious. Lord, let us walk upright with our chin high and our knees low because we have the truth. Not that that's haughty or proud, but Lord, it just is. You have made things and things are. And Lord, you have made us and you have made a way for us to come to you. So, Father, we pray that this week as we go forth, Lord God, that we wouldn't be unaware of the enemy's schemes and that we would know there's great disaster when we break your moral laws. But, Lord, we also know that you're a God of grace and mercy and love and you have called us to you. And, Father, for that, we couldn't be more thankful. Jesus, thank you for the work of the cross, the resurrection. Holy Spirit, enter our lives that we would be changed forever. We would listen to the guidance that you have for us that we might be the complete and mature person. We bless you this morning and give you all glory in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, bless you. I didn't mean to keep you so long, but I hope God was ministering to you as well. Amen. 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 Bless you. <laughs> give God glory. Thank you so much for joining us for today's message. You know, we would love to invite you to come and visit us in person sometime. If you're ever in our area, you can find us at 415 Union Street in Milton, Delaware, where we have prayer and worship services on Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m., Bible study on Saturday evenings at 7 p.m., and a Sunday morning worship service at 10.30 a.m. We would love to minister to your children as well. We offer children's church during the adult service. Children are excused to go back to their classes right after the worship time. You can also find more information about us on the web at unionstreetmeetinghouse.org or on Facebook at Union Street Meeting House. So we look forward to sharing the message with you next week. Hope you'll return to this podcast. Thank you so much and God bless you.